In the entertainment capital of the world, it's the T.C. Martin Show. It's been a great third down defense the last two weeks for Steelers. And they've got an interception and a run back all the way home. It's Belaine with the touchdown on the pick six. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor, T.C. Martin. Mahomes drifting downfield. Intercepted. His first of the season, Jeff Heath. Hour number two here on this thunderous Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. I want to thank Bill Lambeer for joining us last hour. Las Vegas Aces in action Tuesday night. The WNBA playoffs actually start tonight with a televised doubleheader. So, uh, yeah, a little scoreboard watching, a little TV watching for the Aces. They sit comfortably with the number two seed right now. And, again, get your tickets for the Aces, the WNBA semifinals, best of five series, games one and two at the Michelob Ultra Arena, Mandalay Bay, access.com. That's where you get your tickets, AXS.com. And pack the house, the Mandalay Bay, Tuesday night for the Aces against a an opponent to be determined, and we'll know after Sunday. Appreciate uh, Bill Lambeer for joining us. And again, Tuesday night, it all starts. Scott Spritzer is going to join us a little bit later on this hour. And you can join us via the phones here. Talk about whatever is on your mind. 702-221-7283. Again, 702-221-7283. Your phone call is prevalent here as well today. All right. uh, We start looking ahead to the NFL this weekend. We got a game tonight. It's a typical Thursday night game. I never get excited for the Thursday night games, except, of course, the season opener, which was fantastic. But then you take a step backwards and you don't get you know, fantastic games and matchups. Even though last Thursday, the game was really good between the Giants and Washington. Turned out to be a pretty good game. Will tonight's game give you that? I don't know. Carolina's an eight-point favorite against the Houston Texans. After looking at Houston, and I know they won week one against Jacksonville, and I watched them last week, and I think it's safe to say, and I haven't done the schedule game to go look and you know match up, I'm going to say that Houston doesn't win another game this year. <laughs> now, it seems pretty crazy to see a team go, well, you know, one in 16 in a 17-game schedule, but this team is horrendous. And it just shows you where David Culley is, the, their new head coach. They lose their starting quarterback in week one. You've got to basically now go with Davis Mills, the rookie out of Stanford. And despite not really having a bona fide backup, they're saying, Deshaun Watson, don't worry about it. We're not going to activate you. No, thank you. They told him to go away during training camp. Don't show up because they didn't want to have the circus-like atmosphere there. And he hasn't been around. Didn't play any preseason games. He's still technically on the roster. Not active on the 53-man you know, game roster. But if you ever needed Deshaun Watson, now would be the time because you don't have a quarterback. And arguably is one of the be- better quarterbacks in the NFL. But because of what he's going through, 
with call it whatever you want, the massage scandal, the speed dial three scandal. <laughs> the Houston Texans want no part of him. And I think this is great. And you, you just have to go ahead and take a hard stance when you are in a situation like this. Take the hard stance and move away from Deshaun Watson. Very similar to what the Dodgers did with Trevor Bauer. Move away from that. And Trevor Bauer, his suspension continued to just get extended and extended, extended. Finally, it's like, okay, you're, you're done for the season. And I thought it was interesting when we talked to Tim Nevert, who handles the radio uh, duties for the, the Dodgers. He says, you know what? He goes, no one even mentions it. They don't talk about it. And it's like, you can't talk about the guys that aren't there. And you know, getting Max Scherzer for the Dodgers really helped that situation out too. Uh, Max Scherzer over Trevor Bauer, no problem. Take that seven days a week. Uh, and uh, you know, now Dave Roberts said that if the Dodgers do play uh, game 163, if they end up tied with the Giants at the end of the regular season, Scherzer is actually going to get the start. And you know, that's pretty controversial as well too. Do you save your ace for hopefully game one of your series, or do you burn him in a wild card game, a one-and-done game, or now do you burn him in a basically sudden death game to win the uh, to see who advances on? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, so the Dodgers could end up with over 100 wins, have the second-best record in all of Major League Baseball, and then you can basically be done. The defending World Series champions could be done. Why? Because of the San Francisco Giants. What the Giants have done this year has been phenomenal. It's been amazing. And I think it's somewhat shocking. And there are people that still can't even probably name you five starters on the Giants. And they can't tell you who the manager is. Because Gabe Kapler came over. And we thought that was a very questionable hire. How much does Gabe Kapler get? How much credit does he get for this Giants phenomenal season? But, uh, yeah, the Giants were losing earlier to the Padres today. The Colorado Rockies are beating the Dodgers again right now, 5-4. to four. This thing could go down to the final day of the season, and you could have a one-game playoff situation just to see who is the division champion in the NL West and who is the wild card? And whoever the wild card is, then they'll have to turn around and play another one-and-done, sudden-death situation. So, total craziness. Padres, 4-2 over the Giants as we speak right now. So, both those games late, eighth and ninth inning. So, we'll, we'll see what happens there. All right, so you want to talk some baseball, you want to talk some football, we've got it all on the table for you. Let's go to the phones. Talk to Big Game James. What's up, my man? What's going down, James Brown? Long time. How you been? I'm good, man. Thanks for checking in, brother. Yeah, it's been a while. I just watching some of that giant game. Uh, first inning, they let Webb throw 45 pitches. Logan Webb, 45 pitches. Jeez. In the first and that's, inning. That's one of your aces. Yeah, it came away with 4 nothing lead after one. But the Giants did get two, so it's four to two. But uh, maybe think of uh, a good trivia question for you. Sandy Koufax, last start he ever did for the Dodgers, how many pitches did he throw? Clue, complete game. 
complete game. Okay, I'm going to say this is probably something along the lines of, uh, well, knowing how many pitches those guys threw. I mean, again, there was no setup guy. There was no closer in those games. I'm going to say Sandy threw 144 pitches. 250. 250. 250. 250. Wow. 250. 250 pitches. You know, you're right. I have heard this this story before. That uh, is insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah, back in the day, back, back uh, right around the same time, uh, Marichal and Warren Spong went 16 each. Oh, yeah. There's no, oh, yeah, 16 innings each. You're right. Yeah. And again, yeah. there were no pitch counts back in the day. I mean, no, you, you'd have to. You know, someone would have to dig all that stuff up. I mean, it's not readily available. Like, hey, like that uh, game you're talking about with Marichal. No, I mean, yeah, how many yeah. pitches they throw? Jeez. That's right. Here's a, here's a semi-pet piece. They give you all these stats now. There's so many. Last night they told me that if the counts 1-0 to Brandon Crawford, he's hitting 600. If it's 0-1, well, he got 271. Come on. Come on. If the count is 1-0, 600. If it's 0-1, 270. Oh, I know. We see it every game. You know, We talked about this on our Terrible Tuesday. One of the things I talked about was the ridiculousness of these stats. And, and you know, to keep it in a baseball form, I'm saying I'm really sick and tired of hearing about the exit velocity and all this other nonsense. I mean, you're talking about what uh, batters hit against, uh, you know, you know, pitchers. Um, you know, after yeah. their second at bat and the third turn in the order, and that's a little bit interesting. But now I'm hearing about the spin rate. You like that? The spin rate. I yeah, didn't even calculate a spin rate that a pitcher has here. And then, of course, you know, we've got whip and we've got war. You know, I mean, uh, you mm-hmm. know, Cisco Kid was a friend of mine, slipping into the darkness. Yeah. You know, yeah. that that's yeah. a little war that I know, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'll tell you right now, that was a great uh, talk you had with Big Al. I haven't heard him for years. You guys were two of the best combos for broadcasting wrestling. That was tremendous. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. There was, there was some fun times, no doubt about it. The, the good- I remember- Go ahead. I remember the Aladdin and, and, and uh, what was it, the, the Nugget. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Those are, that, that Nugget, man, that was, that was a piece of work. Yeah, I still get people that live here who, who were here back in those days throughout the 90s who say, hey, I was at that show. I, I was at the Ultimate Warrior Honky Tonk show. I was there the night the thug, you know, uh, you know wore the, uh, uh, the sheet over his head and, and all that stuff. So we still get that, which is, which uh, I appreciate that, man. And again, uh, you know, back in those days, you know, with the TV show and the monthly cards we ran, uh, it was great. It was fun. And like I said, we have Rob Van Dam on the show all the time, and he still remembers those days where basically he started out. So, no, I appreciate that. And, you know, when someone brings it up and they'll, you know, you know, recall some stuff or I get yeah. called to do interviews, I, you know, I, it jogs back a lot of memories, man. So I, I appreciate that. 
Yeah, tell Rob I'm, I'm a big fan. And it was fun to watch him. He was, he was kind of started kind of more of an acrobatic kind of a thing, and it was pretty fiendish. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. All right, yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, you, you're giant. Yeah, you, you, if you're rooting for the Giants, I don't, I don't get it, man. I don't understand how this team is doing it with this roster. They they look phenomenal, but uh, I do kind of feel sorry for the Dodgers a little bit. Well, I really don't feel sorry for them. I mean, they won they won a World Series last year, but it's it's crazy that a team's gonna have over a hundred victories and you know could be in, in a one and done situation. Yeah, they win like fourteen out of. 18, they don't gain nothing. Just, I mean, after they win a game, they probably get frustrated as hell. Because mm-hmm. later on that night, you know the Giants are going to win. <laughs> it's weird. They're going down the wire. All right, brother. All right, man, I appreciate you checking in, man. I appreciate the phone call. All right, man, I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. There it is. All right, big game James checking in. Let's continue on. Fernando, what's happening, Fernando? Yeah, this is a loyal listener, Fernando. And first off, um, we're praying for you, Ballpark VGK Frank. We're behind you all the way, buddy. Um, appreciate that, Fernando. Empire. Appreciate that. I know he appreciates it as well. We all do. Thank you, man. Oh, you're welcome. Um, these umpires, Major League umpires, balls a strike, strikes a ball, out is safe, safe is out. Then they go to the replay. They stay there for like five, ten minutes. In the the umpire booth in New York, where he is in Toronto or Florida, <laughs> he comes back and and the runner is out by half a step, and he calls him safe. Yes, <laughs> so it's just it's just ridiculous sometimes. Um, uh, what's your view on this umpiring yeah. situation? So here's the thing, I. I applaud replay. I want replay. I embrace replay because the bottom line, we have too much incompetency with umpires. We do. We, uh, you know, again, there's so much, you know, you can put the boxes on the screen and we see that a ball is clearly a foot outside and it's a strike and that's not reviewable. Then you get to the bang, bang, play at first base like you're talking about. And then we Mm -hmm. think, okay, for the most part, we are going to get it right. But then there are times when they don't get it right. So that's extremely frustrating. I think Major League Baseball, for the most part, has done a good job in trying to get it right. And I don't agree with people who say, hey, take replay out of the game. It takes too long. You know, we don't want the robot situation. I'm not buying that because if we do have the technology to get a call right and overturn a blatant bad call, then I want to do it, especially if it's a game decider, especially if it's in the playoffs or a World Series, then I don't want to have these type of situations like we had 10, 20 years ago where that's going to live in infamy and a team goes home of it. So... I like replay, and I just mm-hmm. what I don't like about it is the restrictions. Okay, well, we can't use it for this. We can't use it for that. And we see that with football. And people complain, well, good, you're going to stop it all the time, and the game's going to be four hours. Well, guess what? They're already four hours with, with so many of the TV timeouts. And you know what? Just go to commercial. You could show us a replay or something, but we don't need to take you know the time here to, say, go through all of this and then have – the broadcast extended to go to, well, we didn't get that TV timeout in, and we get this in football, we'll do that. No, just go get your commercials in, and then the games won't be four, four and a half hours. They can get back to, you know, three hours and 15 minutes or 3.20 or 3.30. But I don't think, Fernando, a, a hardcore fan is going to mind replay if you use it right and, and you get it right. 
I was hoping um, one of these managers will come out and grab the headphones from the umpire and just smash it. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, take care, right, take care. thanks. I appreciate thanks. the phone call. Thank you very much. There it is. Yeah, you know, replay. It's one of those things. I just, I don't like the argument that it takes too long. That if you're going, uh, let's let's throw it out of the game altogether, because now we're going backwards, and especially with calls in football, you know, that are so subjective. And I'm fine with the pass interference call. You know, and again, I haven't seen anybody, you know, challenge anything with pass interference. And we saw plenty of that last year. I know it's kind of an experimental type of thing. We're not seeing that this year. But, you know, with baseball, man, I think you need to expand your replay options as well here. I think you really need to do that. Again, there are so many crucial things that come up in a game that are game changers, game deciders. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, that one is not reviewable. And we see that in football as well. So there you go. All right, more phone calls. Uh, 702-221-7283. Appreciate it. Karen checking in. What's happening, Karen? Hey, TC. Um, Actually, after your last two phone callers, I just want to make two quick comments. Uh, One big game, uh, if he wanted to see a game, uh, Edwin Jackson, 149 pitch, no hitter. That with 10 walks is amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, 10, wa- <laughs> 10 walks is the key. Now, here we go. I mean, you, you sound like a baseball fan here. Do you do you credit a no-no for a guy that walks 10? I know technically it is a I no-hitter. I think it needs like some kind of asterisk. doesn't really count. But yeah, anyway, um, as far as replay, I'd like to say this. I would like to see it where they do not tell New York what the call was on the field. I have never seen a game where they have overturned. They, I, I've seen games where they've gone to New York three, four times. They are not going to overturn an umpire four times in a game. They're not. Um, for anything, they're not going to make them look bad that much. One, maybe. I've seen two. But don't tell them what the call is and make them make the decision and then come back and say, it's overturned or it stays or whatever, because you're already influencing the person watching the replay by telling them, well, we called it out. What do you see? I agree. I agree because, you know, right now the, you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that, you know, the umpire was wrong there. And it seems like it should just be, this is the call. You are out, you are safe and make the call. And especially with baseball, I mean, it's pretty definitive. I mean, if it's bang, bang or bang, bang, you know, there in the rule states clearly that in a ground ball situation, okay, in a, in a force out situation, it says in the rule book that the runner must beat the ball. And I'm sure you've heard it, you know, going back to Little League, people say, oh, Ty goes to the runner. No, it doesn't. Ty does does not. It it states clearly in the rule book. There is no such thing as a tie in baseball. And then Ty doesn't go to the runner. Basically, if you go ahead and decipher the ruling, Ty goes to the out, right? Because the runner must beat the throw and the ball lodging into the back of the glove. Uh, you know, for the first baseman or anyone at, at that base. So it seems like, you know, we, we have to, you know, try to overturn this. And this is a football thing. And this is where it all comes from, the mentality, where football makes the call 
And now they tell him, well, just you know, don't blow your whistle prematurely here. Let stuff play out. We see incomplete passes every week get play, you know, the whistle doesn't sound. And then we see it's an incomplete pass, but oh, somebody jumps on the ball, and now we're gonna have to wait and then blow it dead. And well, what did the referee call? Now let's prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you know the referee was wrong here. We I agree. Baseball, let's just and, make it. And the call. it's a cop out. It's a cop out to say the play stands. That's just saying we don't want to make a decision. That's what bothers me. You know, it's either it's right or it's wrong. There's no in-between, well, we don't see enough to overturn it. Then it's right. That's how I feel. If you can't see enough to turn don't say stand. To me, it's just a cop-out, personally. But the reason I called is football, my favorite sport of all. Um, seems we have a ton of rookie or second-year quarterbacks. I want to get your take on that. Um, of course, I remember the greatest class of all time of 83, but I'd like to know who you think is going to do the best with the situation they have. Because obviously, a rookie quarterback, uh, you know, the Aaron Rodgers days of sitting behind Brett aren't always there anymore. They're all going for somebody who can start now. It used to be the trend where you were a rookie quarterback, you knew you had to sit. Um, but I also think situations are different. You know, think about Alex Smith came out. He didn't come into the best situation in San Francisco. Um, who do you think has the best situation, and who do you think will do the best this season? You know, I'm, I got it down to two guys that I think will do the best, and they have something in common. And, and this is the reason why I think that they are in the best situation. They are closer to succeeding than some of the others. And is Jalen Hurts and it's Mac Jones. What's the common denominator there? Yeah, they, they both come from Alabama. They are they come from Nick Saban, and they are so well prepared. Now, a lot of people say, "Well, what about Tua?" Well, I was you know people know that listen to the show. I've never been a Tua fan. Okay, uh, Tua was handed a job because he was a high school phenom. There was a lot of pressure on Nick Saban to play Tua. And Jalen Hurts lost his job uh, due to an injury. But when Jalen Hurts was ready to come back, they gave it to Tua, and Jalen basically never got his job back. And at that point in time, I thought Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback, and Jalen Hurts has the potential to be the best NFL quarterback. And not a lot of people thought much of Jalen Hurts, even though all he did was come back and win. He was the winningest you know, quarterback, you know, in college history for what he did at Alabama, then he went to Oklahoma after he transferred. So Jalen Hurts has got it in the head, between the eyes. He's got a great football IQ. And Mac Jones, who sat behind Jalen Hurts and Tua, really learned a lot from those guys and specifically Nick Saban as well, too, in that pro-style offense. And now they're both, you know, I know it's early on, but they're both having great seasons, and I love the situation that Mac Jones is in because he's playing for a Nick Saban-like guy in Bill Belichick, and he's got a great offensive coordinator in Josh McDaniels, and I think if given time, I think Mac Jones can turn out to be very, very good. And with Jalen Hurts, we see what he's doing now in year number two. Even you know, you know, last year, he didn't get a chance to start a whole bunch, but now he has command of of that offense in Philadelphia, and I'm a little worried about the surrounding talent he has there in Philadelphia, but it's not nearly you know as good as some other teams. 
But I, I think that those two guys have the best shot in early on they're proving their worth. Awesome. I, I totally agree. I, I I just am surprised at how many are getting like straight out of college shots now, which is not the norm in, you know, 20, 25 years ago. And so um, I hope they both do well. I agree with everything you said. I really think Jalen got screwed over for lack of a better term. Um, but, you know, sometimes that's what it takes to make you uh, shine even more. Yeah, and the thing about it is too, the reason, you know, your 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 point here about why they're getting kind of thrown into the fire early, it's because of the amount of money that they're making right now. And when general managers draft a quarterback out of college, they know they're going to be on the hook for paying them and they have a chance to lose them after paying them a ton of money for the signing bonuses and everything. They could lose them, you know, after four seasons or into the fourth season and they, they want to get what they can. I mean, we saw that going back with, you know, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers with Green Bay. Ted Thompson drafted him, even though Brett was not ready to retire and Brett was not at the end of the rope. But Ted Thompson said, you know, I'm paying this guy. I don't want to lose this guy. He's my draft pick. So let's, let, let's get him in there and say goodbye to Brett Favre. And obviously, Brett still had plenty left in the tank. And that was a, a nightmare situation for Packer fans. But I think that is why Justin Fields comes out of Ohio State. I'm not sure Justin Fields can play in the NFL because the guy got ran out of – well, he left Georgia because he couldn't even be one of the top two quarterbacks at the University of Georgia. So he had to go to Ohio State and had a good COVID year last year, okay, in a limited season. So now we're going to find out this week what he has as he's going to get the start with the Bears. But, again, you know, a lot of these guys are getting thrown into it. Tua was thrown into it, you know, with – with Miami, and he shouldn't have been thrown into the fire that early. And, he, you know, coming off the injury he had at Alabama, and then again, you know, Fitzpatrick was playing great, and now two is injured again. So, yeah, I, those are my thoughts. And I agree with you as well, too, that uh, it's a little bit too early for, for some of these guys, but this is why we're seeing it. All right, thanks so much, and long-time listener, love the show. All right, thank you very much, Karen. Appreciate uh, the phone call. All right, uh, appreciate the phone calls uh, today, and uh, we'll continue on uh, with that. When we come back, Scott Spritzer joins us. We start diving into tonight's game, handicapping that. It's the Panthers and the Texans on the NFL side, and plenty of college football and the NFL week number three to talk about with Scott Wins. Wait a second. Wait a second. Now, more from your favorite sports radio physician, the doctor, T.C. Martin. Uh, We're diving into the music like we do. And my guy, Scott Spritzer, again, a music aficionado like myself here. Scott, you, you, you got to love what we're pulling out here today. How about this one? This, this is a flashback for you. Man, I'm undefeated on your show, and I'm spacing off the name. Oh, you don't need to. You don't need to, because this is a tough one to get. You can Shazam it if you'd like, Scott. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Gosh, and I know the song. What is this, DC? This is the soulful strut, my friend. There you go. Soulful Can strut. we get some Brothers Johnson on next week? Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. A little Thunder Thumbs and Lightning Licks. You know? 
Now you're talking about, yeah, ain't we funkin' now? We'll do that. I got my man Sinbad who did a, a rejoiner for me with the Ain't We Funkin' Now by the Brothers Johnson. Of course, we know Strawberry Letter 23 is is the classic of all classics, right? Yeah. It, 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 listen, great song. It's not my favorite. My favorite comes a little too close to saying things you can't say on the air. Huh? So I'll leave it at that. You could probably figure out the name of the song. Get the funk um, out of my face. Okay. I just wanted to make sure you said it in case somebody somewhere got confused. Now that's the song. That's that's the tops. So not saying anything against you know the anything else Brothers Johnson did, but uh, I still got that album TC in my in my in my wow. storage, which is called my closet. There's about 500 albums, of which most were recorded before 1985. So you, there you go. You and me both, brother. <laughs> okay, so I mean, since we were full fledged, uh, went into Brothers Johnson mode here. I. I would be remiss if I didn't share a story with you that you could probably appreciate. So you know about my my concert promoting days, right? So you'll be interested yep. in this, Scott. I promoted the last show that George and Lewis Johnson did together. Really? Yeah, yeah, really. And they they were estranged for a long period of time. And they came back together to do a show for me. This is going back about four or five years ago. This is pretty recent. And, uh, yeah, they, 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 they did a show together. And I was really uh, bummed on how that relationship really deteriorated between these two guys. And, That's uh, too bad. Yeah, yeah definitely. It, it, it was too bad. But, yeah, it just, again, but when those guys, you know, we're in their heyday. I mean, you know, songs like this and... And, uh, you know, those albums, fantastic. Great. And I love it. I love it. I mean, Scott is coming with the R&B and the funk again. I mean, who would have known <laughs> if they would have seen Scott Spritzer back in the 70s and 80s, even the early 90s with the long hair. They're thinking this guy is is just either Alice Cooper or Judas Priest. That's what they're thinking about you. That, that's the funniest thing about the whole thing is I had hair basically down to my shoulders. I know. Right. Yet, yet I was big time into the Brothers Johnson, into, you know, uh, George Clinton. Yes. P-Funk All-Stars and all that kind of stuff. And, and I was also a very big fan of punk rock and would go to all the concerts that came our way. Uh, but I was this guy who had his hair kind of like Bon Jovi before John did. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, I was just, just don't judge a book by its cover, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. But, uh, you know, I, I got to see uh, the, the P-Funk All-Stars at a Lollapalooza concert over 20 years ago, the only time they ever came to Las Vegas, D.C., yeah. and it was fantastic. Um, and here we are talking music again, but P-Funk All-Stars, Beastie Boys were there. It was just, it was fantastic. Beastie Boys bring back hip-hop. You want to know what hip-hop is, folks? Put on a Beastie Boys record, and there you go. <laughs> I was kind of a Beastie Boys guy, you know, it's a, but you're right, though. That was, they, they were very innovative, you know, back in the day. That was, that was hip-hop, man, when yep. hip-hop was, was the real thing, man. Beastie Boys were the poster child for for hip-hop, and you don't have a lot of that going on right now, you know, so it's a shame, but yeah, I remember Tough Guy, and it wasn't one of their big hits, and right. you know, I'm a no-sleep-till-Brooklyn guy, so what can I say? Of course. <laughs> you gotta love it. There it is. Scott Spritzer, uh, opening up for the uh, the Beastie Boys. Actually, could be playing uh, you know, a little drum solo or, or guitar solo. You never know. I mean, you know, <laughs> Scott, Scott can get on stage, and people don't know that, Scott. So TC, I was actually I did I, I got up on stage a few times with Cornell Gunter's yep. coasters. See, uh, back in the mid to late '80s. Unfortunately, Cornell has been gone now for about 30 years. But yeah, they called myself and a buddy of mine. Uh, they called us the um, oh, I'm spacing off the uh, uh, the Shout Brothers after the Isley Brothers Shout. Right, right. And uh, so yeah, I, I had my I 
had a little time on stage back in the day in the old Las Vegas lounge scene. <laughs> I love it. Outstanding. See, we, we go back far enough that uh, we remember those great uh, those lounge days. There you go. I, I may have seen you on stage and didn't even realize it. There we go. You could have. I was the guy with the long hair. Yeah, I, I know that. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, down in Mexico... Down in Mexico is one of the coolest songs I've heard in my life wow. by the Coasters. Wow. And it's not well known by anybody under 60, uh, but, you know, check it out, man. It's good stuff. All right, man. Hey, uh, let's talk about some college football. First, before we get into this week, please explain to me why Nevada was favored over K-State last week. You know, I saw well, that line, I, and I, and I yeah. wanted to play K-State so badly, and I just kind of dismissed it. And then it was one of those, like, after the game was over, it was like, why didn't you just go with your gut here? Seriously, K-State, they're 3-0. and They were 2-0 and coming into that game, and they, they pummeled Stanford. And they're at home, and Nevada's a road favorite. Did you look at that game at all last week? I did. I, I passed it myself, yeah. and I looked at it a couple of times, and I thought, I'm just going to hold off on this one. I, I, you know, the reason that K-State uh, or that Nevada was favored is, you know, partially due to the fact you're talking about K-State, so you're talking about an injured starting quarterback. And the point that I was making on a couple of the shows that I did back in the Midwest last week about that game, even though I didn't get involved, is that their backup quarterback saw plenty of starting time, you know, since he's been at Kansas State. I mean, it's not like the first time they've been out with their starting quarterback. And so, you know, I, I didn't make a big power rating adjustment, yet I still decided not to play the game. I, You know, I, I was... A little shaky on my power rating on Nevada. I wasn't sure that it was exactly where it needed to be. And, you know, I ended up being uh, on, on like nine games anyway, so it was just one of those I decided to drop. Gotcha. All right, man. Windy City. We've got the Irish against Bucky. Notre <laughs> Dame, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, the favorite here by five. What are you thinking here? Yeah, and this one's being played at Soldier Field in Chicago. Uh, so, you know, and there's a whole lot of Notre Dame fans, as everybody knows, in and around the Chicago area. So it's not like when you see Wisconsin on the bottom of this matchup that it's a, you know, any kind of home game whatsoever for the Badgers, right. although they will travel well. I, I would expect it to be split as far as the, uh, the fans are concerned. Listen, Malusi's a workhorse, that running back for Wisconsin, no doubt about it. They got themselves another workhorse. If you saw a game last week, they, the last time out, they had 352 yards on 55 carries. Even against Penn State, they outrushed the Nittany Lions 174-50. to And if you looked at that game going back to the opener, uh, Wisconsin had four scoreless trips inside the Penn State 25. They had three of those that got inside the 10 and came away scoreless. But they held on to the ball for 42 out of 60 minutes. I mean, imagine that. You hold a team to 50 yards rushing. You outgain them by three and a half yards as far as your total yards are concerned. Three and a half to one is the ratio on the rushing yardage in that game. You had four trips inside the 25, 42 minutes you held onto the football, and you not only only scored 10 points, but you lost 16 to 10. It was a fluky loss for Wisconsin, and I think they will be able to win the line of scrimmage against Dame. I really do, and I, that's why I thought this line uh, should be basically where it is. I do have a lean towards Wisconsin. In fact, I did a, a free video on Wisconsin on this game. I think they come away with about a 10-point victory. I'm not impressed in the trenches at all with Notre Dame so far this season. Another neutral site game, Texas A&M and Arkansas playing in Jerry's World in Arlington. And A&M is ranked 7th, and Arkansas crawled into the top 20 there at number 16. And, you know, this was a, a dreadful program for the last couple seasons. But, you know, A&M and Arkansas, they've had some crazy wild battles over the year in recent, you know, time. And, uh, again, you, you look at both of these teams now, 
in the SEC. And how real do you think Arkansas is? And we've seen Texas A&M, uh, you know, being, I don't want to say phony, but you know what I'm saying? You know, the last couple seasons as well, when they play somebody big, they usually don't do well. But is this a good spot for A&M against Arkansas? I think it is slightly a good spot for A&M. What I like a little bit more is the under. I played it at 48. Right now it's at 47. And you'll remember last year when they played, A&M led 42 to 17. They were laying 14 and a half points. Talk about a, a difference a season makes. And by the way, this game's in Arlington at Jerry's World. So once again, no real big uh, home field advantage here for either team. But they're up 25. They're in the fourth quarter. They're laying 14 and a half. And if you laid that point spread with A&M, I mean, you got backdoored. It was a tough beat because Arkansas scores the game's final 14 points, meaningless other than the point spread. And it's a 42 to 31 final, 73 points put up on the scoreboard. Now we see a total that's 47. Zach Calzada did not look good against Colorado, but he played well last week, albeit against New Mexico. Uh, the big deal is, is can Arkansas harass Calzada like they did the uh, Texas quarterback Hudson Card basically forced uh, the Longhorns' hand in replacing Card during that game. It's a very deliberate offense this year out of A&M. Uh, they've been bad in the red zone. And can Arkansas continue to run the football against A&M uh, like they have so far this season? A&M, if you want to split hairs, their weakness is against the run. So I do think this clock is going to keep moving. I believe Arkansas will be able to run. A&M has that deliberate attack. And, again, you're talking about 47. I think it lands on the low 40s, maybe even the high 30s. All right. Texas A&M and Arkansas, looking forward to that. Clemson, Scott, uh, they scored three against Georgia a few weeks back. Then they only scored 14 against Georgia Tech. And uh, 14-8 the final in this game. Now they got to travel NC State. NC State is probably better than what the public thinks. And they got a pretty good defense. And NC State is playing at home here. Is this the game that we finally see Clemson return to form? Or is this another, could be another shocker here? I sure hope they return to form because I laid it. So there you go. But, you know, Clemson, you know, land. there was a handicapper earlier this week who reminded us all that over the summer, I believe it was the Westgate, had Clemson a 19-point favorite in this game. So we're seeing, since then at least, a nine-point adjustment based off a couple of games. Now, just a few weeks ago, they were in that 12-13 to range, so it had already started to be adjusted. But, yeah, the offense has had it rough, man. Tough time getting things together this season and, and showing up and being the Clemson offense that we've grown used to. But the talent's in place to make another playoff run, and the defense might be the best in college football. Clemson has yet to allow a defensive touchdown through three games. Their offense, you know, they had a, a, a touchdown on a pick six in one game, but they've yet to give up a touchdown on defense. They've given up just four field goals, and they've held their opponents to 110 yards rushing per game on three yards per carry. NC State's 2-1 and one TC, but they've beaten South Florida and Furman. And in the one-step-up game, it was against Mississippi State. They scored 10 points. They lost by 14. They ran 25 times. In that game against the Bulldogs, 25 carries, they gained 33 yards. Devin Leary, the Wolfpack quarterback, was under constant pressure, and I really think Clemson would, will uh, turn this offense into a one-dimensional attack and go on to win this game by at least a couple of touchdowns. All right, great stuff from Scott Spritzer. Scott wins on Twitter and, of course, at DocSports.com. A couple more in the college side real quick here. Rutgers, a surprise against Michigan. 
and uh, Michigan has looked good. They still can't really throw the ball that well. They are hosting Rutgers, and we know we talked about a terrible Tuesday where you get uh, you know, two defensive stalwarts for Rutgers are out of this game because they were uh, shooting paintballs at fellow uh, Rutgers students there in Piscataway. Uh, that's going to affect them. Uh, what are your thoughts about this Michigan team and Rutgers who's coming here at 3-0? Yeah, I think what Michigan has done going up against you know, weak opposition thus far, including Washington, who was missing basically half their offense in that game. I think, you know, what Michigan has done, though, that has been good for them is really develop their team confidence, you know, going into the Big Ten schedule. Uh, But having said that, you're talking about having to lay around 20 points. And the only thing, TC, that kept me off of making a play on Rutgers this week and taking all those points were the defensive injuries. I, I do think because of where they happen and what Michigan wants to do offensively, that those injuries do mean a couple of points in this game. As far as the coaching is concerned, Shiano matches up well with just about anybody. He's got a decent team with Rutgers. I'm not going to be shocked if Michigan struggles to a win here, but I just had to pass this game uh, because of those injuries that you hit on as you introduced the contest. Right. All right. West Virginia and Oklahoma. Oklahoma, a little bit of a disappointment, especially back on the defensive side of the ball. And I remember, Scott, having the conversation early on this season that, hey, this Oklahoma team, the defense actually could be the strength of this this team, and we really haven't seen that thus far. Yeah, I think what you saw last week was a case of Nebraska making strides. That doesn't mean they come out tomorrow and play a good game again against Michigan State. But what I think what we saw is that The talent level is not that big of a difference between those two schools, but the difference is is that Oklahoma pays attention to details, and they're much more disciplined than Nebraska last week. And as far as this particular game, I've got a few games this week that I think I'm going to be kind of out on a limb on compared to other people. I don't think a lot of people are going to want Oklahoma off of that struggle against Nebraska last week, laying big chalk, and they were held in check offensively, but I think this is the spot for OU. Uh, the Mountaineers are off the big and fortunate win last week against Vatech. Uh, they led 27-21, but the Hokies had three scoreless trips inside the Mountaineer 10-yard line, and really from about the midway point of the second quarter through the end of the game, the Mountaineers did nothing offensively for the most part. So I think OU's defense, which is one of the best right up there, top four or five in the country, will slam the door on the Mountaineers, and Oklahoma goes on to the win and the cover. Got to lay a lot, 17. I think it'll keep a lot of people off right. of Oklahoma in this game. All right, there we go. Uh, NFL side, Justin Fields is going to get his first start for the Chicago Bears. Bears are taking on the Browns here. Uh, how do, not only handicapping this game, Scott, but you know we talk a lot about rookie quarterbacks, talked a lot about Justin Fields. What do you think we're going to get uh, from Justin Fields this week? Yeah, and I think rookie quarterbacks are now 1-5 in five against the spread, if memory serves correctly, right. so far this season. So, you know, again, it's a situation where I think, you know, this current line, by the way, is about two points lower than the look-ahead from last week and two points less than I made Cleveland. I do my numbers a week in advance also to stay away from overreacting to the most recent thing that we see on the field. Uh, so, yeah, Justin Fields, he gets the start. He looked great in preseason, but he looked great against backups. He started talking about, oh, the speed difference is not that much from what it was in college football. Then he got a taste of going up against a couple of top defensive units, and the tune changed, and he didn't recognize blitz schemes that well, and he got popped. You'll remember one of the biggest highlights of preseason was him getting trashed by a defensive end when he didn't recognize the blitz package that was coming after him. So he goes 6 of 13 last week, not great, not horrible. 
Uh, the offense is more dangerous, though, when he's on the field because he can pick him up and put him down when things get a little shaky. Uh, but I think with the fields, it's going to be, man, the highs are going to be high. The lows are going to be really low. I don't think play calling is best suited for his talents from what I saw last week. All 13 of his passes came from inside the tackle box. Get fields outside of the box. Give him a chance to throw on the run or pull it down and run with the football. Uh, the, the questionable thing for the Browns on this one is that they're banged up at wide receiver. Uh, but I still think that if they've got most of the receivers out there in close to good health, that they should be able to torch the Bears' secondary. It's a lean to Cleveland, but I've uh, got several other games that I like more than this one. Okay. Raiders hosting Miami. We saw these two teams face off at Allegiant last year with no fans, and that was a game Ryan Fitzpatrick came in uh, in relief of Tua, who was terrible that day. And now Tua is injured, got injured uh, early on in the game last week. And now we've got, what, uh, Jacoby Brissett, who has taken over, and the Raiders a favorite here. Raiders have to be brimming with confidence, 2-0, and and a great shot of being 3-0. and And the line here, Scott, you can make the case here that, you know, maybe four could be a little bit of a low number. What do you think? Well, this is one of those games where I'm going to be on a side that not a lot of people in Vegas are going to be on with me. Uh, I grabbed the points with the Dolphins. Uh, the Raiders are off, you know, the emotional, the physical draining games against both the Ravens and the Steelers. Miami, Miami off the 35 nothing drubbing by the Buffalo Bills. We also got a backup quarterback, as you mentioned, in Jacoby Brissett, who will start for Tua, who's out, but I'm fine with it. Yeah. My power ratings between Brissett and Tua are virtually even. Right. Uh, there's no drop-off for me. And listen, Brissett's played on some bad offenses when he has started. He went 7-8 and eight in his last 15 starts. Certainly not horrible. And that was, again, playing with mediocre offenses around him. This is a fantastic NFL spot if you want to back Miami, which I did. Doesn't mean they go out and win or cover the football game. But I think it's a real tough spot for the Las Vegas Raiders. And I think Miami, at the very least, hangs that number of four. All right. Packers, Niners, Sunday night football. Niners three-and-a-half-point home favorite. And the Packers coming off. Uh, their great second half they had against the Lions, and now they get the 49ers, two teams very familiar with each other. You know what the coolest thing is about watching the Manning Channel, so to speak, when, when those Monday Night Football games are on? It was Green Bay this last week. And, and by the way, I had to sweat the back door. I had Green Bay minus the points, so me and Pat right. McAfee were sweating to the very end. You and me but, both. Uh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing is, is, the cool part about that whole Manning experience when you're watching that channel during Monday Night Football, and I recommend it to anybody who hasn't seen it yet, is that they tell you a lot more about what should be going on compared to what is going on. And it scared me off of the Packers this week. I still like them in this spot. But when, when Peyton Manning was talking over and over multiple times that Green Bay was in a wrong defense, and why are they calling this defense for this situation? That's a coaching issue. That's a little bit worrisome down the road if you're the Green Bay Packers you know, fans that they come out in weird defenses that – should not be the kind of defense they should be in for certain spots and situations throughout a game. As far as San Francisco, the reason I don't like him here too much, Jimmy G is under a lot of pressure. When they blitz, he just doesn't complete passes. Only threw three passes against the blitz last week, but all were incomplete. And overall for the game, he completed just three passes where the football was in the air for more than 10 yards. I I do like Green Bay here, but I'm cautious because of the defensive play calling. All right, Bucks travel to the Rams SoFi Stadium. Give me some quick thoughts on that. Hey, man, I, I'm taking the Rams here. Once they became the underdog, it flipped favorites from them being a short fave to being a short dog. The Bucks benefited from a pair of pick sixes in the final eight minutes last week against Atlanta to pull away. They barely escaped 
when they came up against Dallas. They've been outgained in both games. The Rams 2-0 outgained both of their opponents. Matthew Stafford brought here TC to win these types of games. He's the third best passer as far as passer rating in the league right now, better than Brady. I think the Rams have the talent to grab the win here, so I like uh, the, the Rams over the Bucks. I'm with you on that. I totally agree. All right, tonight we've got Thursday Night Football. Not a marquee game, but Carolina has been impressive thus far. Sam Darnold's done a very good job. And then there are the Houston Texans, and this Houston team is just a mess here, Scott. A big number, though, laying on the road if you like Carolina, minus eight. I love Matt Rule, but, you know, I left the game alone. It is their third straight game against a questionable quarterback, if you yep. will, Zach Wilson, week one, Jameis Winston, and all his erratic play last week, and then now Davis Mills. So this Panthers front seven uh, might get by again for Carolina, and, and their first real test will be Dak Prescott coming up next week. So, uh, listen, I think this is going to be a tough spot here where you either back Carolina or stay away from the game. I decided to stay away from the game because Carolina has been great in the first half, but they've been dropping off in the second half of their games on the offensive side of the football. So, again, Carolina or nothing for me, but I decided to pass. All right. He is Scott Spritzer. He's at DocSports.com. Fantastic analysis. Scott, excellent. And just not the handicapping, but, again, tossing the music knowledge in there as well. Excellent. I mean, you can't get a better segment than this. I, I love it, man. You know what? Check out Preston Love on YouTube when you get a chance. You'll see where it all started for me. <laughs> Preston Love, look at this. Look at, I mean, now think about it. Just in this segment alone, we had a George Clinton, a Parliament Funkadelic reference, uh, to the coasters, okay, going back to the 50s and the 60s, and then, uh, you know, Brothers Johnson, a little soulful strut. I mean, come on. It doesn't get any better than that. I mean, talk, it's always, talk about always fun talking music. Eclectic, eclectic. And, and thank you very much for the post about some of the iconic Las Vegas restaurants that, uh, that, that was on there. If you haven't seen Scott's Facebook uh, post, outstanding. I think you went to 17 of the 18 iconic spots. I didn't go to that many, but uh, that just motivates me, Scott. I need to get back to Bautista's Hole in the Wall and some of these other places. And I, I still can't remember the last time I was at the Golden Steer. Let's go, man. Well, I was going to say, you know, I was at the Golden Steer about a year. It was right before the pandemic. I remember you telling me, yeah. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. When you go to Batista's, let me know, and I'll join it because it's been several years since I've been there. Yeah, yeah there was some good times back in the day. No doubt about it. All right. DocSports.com, that's where you can find Scott's pick. Great follow on Twitter as well, at Scott Wins. And, of course, you can catch him on our Best Bets segment as well, Fridays at the Cosmopolitan, up on the website at tcmartinshow.com. Thank you, my man. Great stuff, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care, TC. Appreciate you. There he is. The best. No question. Been doing this a long time together, and uh, I love it. Love every moment of it. Just a great handicapping analysis. A lot of fun. And again, uh, the best handicapper, bar none. Not even close. Scott Spritzer, my right-hand man. All right. I want to thank Bill Lambeer for joining us today, talking Las Vegas Aces as they get ready for the playoffs. Coming at you on Tuesday. Get your tickets Access.com. Pack the house. The Michelob Ultra Arena. Tuesday night game one. Thursday night game two. Aces. Who are they going to play? We'll find out as the WNBA playoffs begin tonight. And uh, the Aces have the double bye Tuesday night, 7 o'clock. It all starts for the Aces. Also, appreciate Scott Spritzer. Appreciate all of our phone calls today. Everyone checking in. And special shout-out to my right-hand man, Ballpark Frank, for joining us from the hospital today and again continue prayers and thoughts for ballpark uh continue to get better my friend uh attack that nasty disease uh 
of cancer, and uh, he's going at it. And uh, so, again, our, our thoughts and prayers out to him, and hopefully Frank will be back with us uh, as soon as he possibly can. If you miss any part of the show, go to the website, tcmartinshow.com. The blogs, the interview with Andrea Kramer is up on there. Great stuff. Go listen to that as we talk about Mark Davis and the HBO Real Sports piece that she did this past week on HBO and HBO Max. And, of course, tomorrow, join us at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. It's a football Friday. Best bets and more. Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas, tomorrow at 2.